0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. As you turn to Genesis 14, and then we'll also here in just a little bit uh, look at Galatians chapter 6... And so we'll be we'll be going back and forth just a little bit this morning, and uh, so Genesis chapter fourteen and Galatians six will will stand in just a moment. Um, let me just remind you uh, about today. This is a big day um, in in uh, across town at Falls International Baptist Church. Brother Ruckman, Brother James Ruckman, Angie Ruckman. They're a family out of Eastside Baptist about two years ago, a little over two years ago. Uh, Eastside Baptist started a church uh, with Brother Ruckman or through Brother Ruckman and uh, ministering to the African population here in Sioux Falls which uh, we know is a large population and they need to be reached and Brother Ruckman was a missionary in Africa and uh, had a heart for the Africans here in Sioux Falls while he was here and uh, and so they started that church and God's really blessed it. I mean tremendously blessed and used them to reach many souls and they're they're growing and And yet, yet Brother Ruckman, in his heart, always knew that he was going to go back to Africa. And so this morning, uh, the the church a couple months ago called a new pastor, Brother Jeremy Holloway, and him him and his family have come in, and uh, they'll be transitioning this morning as the transition service. So if you can imagine the emotion uh, for the Ruckmans uh, this weekend and and uh, the the bittersweet part to my understanding miss angie isn't even going to be able to be there because she has surgery tuesday found out she has cancer a couple of weeks ago and will have to have surgery and so she won't even be in our service tonight because they're trying to keep her away from potentially getting sick and so uh just pray for the ruckmans today pray for the church falls international baptist church Pray for the Holloway family as they make that transition. It's got to be an emotional morning if you can imagine going through something like that. And we want to make sure that we're, we're praying for them and in support of them. And then looking forward as well to Brother Ruckman being in our service tonight. And so uh, this once, he, once the transition's made, he won't be back over there uh, for a while. And he'll be in our service tonight. So he'll be preaching this evening. Looking forward to hearing uh, Brother Ruckman preach. And, uh, and then he'll also be setting up his display, I believe, and then showing the video. So it's kind of like, you know, he's going to be going on furlough. This will be the first stop. And he'll be, he'll be coming as if we're just a, a supporting church, although we're the sending church. Looking forward to having him. So I want to encourage you that tonight's going to be a great service. And so be in your place at 6 o'clock this evening. And I heard an old-time preacher say one time, if you want to be a good Christian, it takes three to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three to thrive. And uh, so it shouldn't really be a question whether or not we're going to be here. But I want to encourage you to come. If you're, if you're not in the habit on Sunday nights, come meet Brother Ruckman here and preach and see the video and look at the uh, display. I think it'll be a blessing to you. All right, we're in uh, Genesis 14. We're going to be in this again this morning in our series. And last week we saw how an issue arose between Lot and Abram. And the land wasn't big enough for their resources. They had many herds. They were both wealthy men and their herdsmen were starting to have an issue at the beginning of Genesis uh, 13. They were having an issue uh, with each other. And, and there wasn't room and there were fighting going on. So last week we, we talked about how Abram and Lot dealt with that situation of strife between them. And Abram took the high road. Abram, as the more mature believer, he gave up his rights so that he could keep the relationship between him and Lot. He was willing to set aside really what he deserved. All the land was his. He was the one God had promised it to. But he said, Lot, you take your choice of the land that you want. And so Lot went his way and Abram went his way. And God blessed Abram because of that. It was a very practical lesson on how to deal with strife. Uh, and, And now, though, we see another situation arise with Lot. Poor Lot. Lot's one of those guys in the Bible... Uh, to just, it seems like every time he's doing something, it's a bad choice. It reminds me a little bit of, of Peter in the New Testament, except at least Peter had some high points in his life. It seems like Lot just never did anything right, and we see this happening again uh, here today. If Lot, Lot just had lows, it seems. So let's look at Genesis fourteen as we stand together. We're going to read this passage, and uh, and I was I was going through this. Uh, uh, someone inspired me to think about a new title for this, but I just couldn't really pull the trigger and keep it. I was thinking last week I should have called it How to Lose a Lot. <laughs> and then today I was thinking, we'll find out Abram goes after a lot. and Today could have been How to Gain a Lot. <laughs> and uh, yet I thought that sounds too much, you know, like a, a weight loss uh, conference or something. How to lose a lot, how to gain a lot. So I decided to go with my own title here today, but we'll see. Genesis 14, verse 1. Thank you for humoring me. That really makes me feel good. You sit in your office sometimes and you laugh at yourself, and then you stand before people and nobody laughs. So it's it really does help. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, okay, verse four verse one, chapter 14. It says, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, now forgive me, there's a lot of names here that aren't real common um, in, the, in the popular baby names list of our day. Came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Keterleomer, king of Elam, and Tadal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemaber, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the vale or valley of Sidim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Keterleomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Keterleomer and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaims in Ashtoreth, K- uh, Canaim, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Emens in Shavah, Kirithaim. And the Horites in their mount, Seir, El Paran, which is by the wilderness. So there's a battle ensuing. You've got four kings against five. In verse 7 it says, And they returned and came to Enmishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazes and Tamar, and there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Zeboam and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Sidim with Keterleomer, the king of Elam and with Tadal, king of nations and Amraphel, king of Shinar and Arioch king of Elisar, four kings with five. So you've got four against five. Verse 10, and the vale of Sidim or valley ...was full of slime pits... ...and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled... ...and fell there and they that remained... ...fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah... ...and all their victuals, ...and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son... ...who dwelt in Sodom... ...and his goods and departed. So they kidnapped Lot... ...and take off with him. And there came one that had escaped... ...and told Abram the Hebrew for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite brother of Eshcol and brother of of Aner and these were confederate with Abram and so Abram's got some men that he's confederate with or that are on his side and look what Abram does when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive he armed his trained servants born in his own house 318 and pursued them unto Dan and he divided himself against them he and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah which is on the left hand of Damascus and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people how to gain a lot how to rescue Lot today's focus is how to respond when a brother is overtaken How to respond when a brother falls. You see, because it happens a lot. And truth is, there are times when when all of us will be called on to the ministry to the messy. When people make a mess out of their lives, then it might be that God wants to use you to bring them back. And the reason this is important is first... We live in a messy world, but second, we've all been in the mess ourselves. And we should be thankful for the times that somebody reached way down and pulled us out of the mess. You know, sometimes God's going to call you to the ministry to minister to the messy. And it will take you having enough care and concern and faith that you could help reach down and pull somebody out of the mess that they're in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. I pray that you'd help us uh, to submit to it. Lord, help it to be clear this morning. Help my mind. You know in my own heart how at times, God, I feel unprepared and yet your word is is where the power lies. And I pray that we just trust that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You be seated. Sometimes we get ourselves in a mess that we just can't get out of. I remember uh, when my son, he was, a, he was probably maybe, uh, maybe 18 months old or so and, and uh, running around, little Jace, running around the house in his diaper. Those are my memories of, of him when he first started walking and just full of life and running around. And we had this bin and it was a bin, it had some stuff in the bottom of it um, that Jace apparently wanted, but the side of the bin was about as tall as Jace was. So I remember that this one time we were we were just in the house doing something and we hear this cry coming from the from another room. And so we go into the room and and Jace is leaning over the bin. He had reached in to try to get something out of the bin. But once he got there bent over the side of the bin, he couldn't do anything else. He couldn't go in anymore and reach what he wanted and he also couldn't pull himself out from the side of the bin and he was just stuck. And of course, you know, we ran up to him and like good parents, we took lots of pictures so we could remember it. (laughs) Then once the picture taking was done, we obviously reached down and with not very much effort at all, we pulled him out of the mess he couldn't get out of. And you know, some, it's funny, but sometimes that's the way that we are in our lives, isn't it? And we think that, that we can handle it ourselves, and then we get ourselves in a position where we, that we cannot get ourselves out of. And life is messy. That's the, the world is a messy place. That's the, the, really the first thought that I want p- to point out in this passage, is that it's just everything, it seems like there's a mess around. This story sets up and it's, and it's a battle for money and power and you've got four kings on one side and five kings on the other and they're fighting over money and power. See, uh, and there was a, a route between Egypt and Me- on the west and Mesopotamia in the east and it was called the Way of the Kings and it went right through Canaan. And so these four kings that we read about at the very beginning, um, they don't want to give up the rights to that land because there's a lot of money to be gained trading with is with egypt in the west and these so these kings of mesopotamia they're walking through canaan and they're making sure that people know who's in charge it's kind of like on one side you've got the bullies and the bullies are amraphel and ariok and keter and tadal and they were very interested in maintaining control of this region of the world from what history tells us, these men meant serious business. These kings would go through, march through the Middle East, and they would plunder villages. They would leave them in ruins. They would kill or take captive the, 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 the inhabitants of those villages that they went through, and it was all, again, for money and power. One commentator named Morris said for hundreds of years thereafter, the entire area was like an abandoned cemetery, hideously unkempt with all its monuments shattered and strewn in pieces on the ground. These bullies are going through the Middle East and they're making sure that they maintain control. On the other side, you almost have the underdogs. And in verse two, we see them listed. There's Barab and Bershah and Shinab and, and Shemaber and the king of Bella, which is Zoar. And they get tired of being bullied. Sometimes, you don't you love it in this story like this when there's a bully and he's been bullying everybody for a long time until one day the little kid that's being bullied finally stands up and knocks him right in the nose. And it just kind of makes, I'm sorry, maybe I shouldn't appreciate stories like that. I mean, self-defense completely, okay? (laughs) But don't you like it when the underdog decides to take a stand and it turns out good for him? Well, that's what's happening here is for 12 years, Keterleomer and these other men, had, they, they, had, they had owned the, the, middle, the Canaan, the Middle East. They had owned this land and, and they had walked around throwing their weight around and, and everyone was afraid of them. But, but for some reason, after 12 years, they grew tired of it and these five kings, they decide to stand up for themselves. And in answer to the rebellion, and in answer uh, because of the rebellion is taking place, Kederleamr and his guys, they go on the offensive, and they come to Canaan and they attack uh, people like the Horites and the Amalekites and the Amorites, among others. So these five rebellious kings who are tired of being pushed around them and their armies go out to the valley of Sidim, which is near the Dead Sea we 're told the, the sea of salt. And they meet these four kings led by Keterleomer and his guys. And so if you think, well, that's dangerous enough, they're going out to battle. You've got the bullies who've been in charge. You've got the underdogs, the rebels who are tired and they're deciding to stand up against the bullies. They go meet in this valley. But but the battle's not the only hazard there in the valley of Sidim. Because we find out at verse 10, look at this. It says, in the vale or valley of Sidim was full of slime pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. So slime pits here are these pits full of exactly what you'd think it's a naturally formed asphalt or bitumen. It's extremely sticky, and if you fall in what we would call tar, the chances of you getting out are very low. If you've ever been to Southern California, I spent two years in Southern California going to college and in Los Angeles, there's a place called the La Brea Tar Pits. And maybe you've been there or maybe you've heard of it before. But over the years, these, this massive field of tar, naturally occurring asphalt, um, ha, has has produced literally hundreds of thousands of animal remains over the years. I mean, there, there are uh, mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and giant sloths and and American lions and dire wolves. And, and I mean, some pretty amazing animals that that used to live in, in our, in our, on our continent and they got trapped in the tar and they couldn't get out. And, and, and it's a fascinating place if you ever get a chance to go see it. Uh, it's where history's kind of preserved right in front of your eyes. Well, that's an idea, gives you an idea of the danger of the tar pits. These slime pits, That were in the land. They were dangerous. You could call them death traps. So it wasn't just that they were going into battle. And that was dangerous. They were also going to a place that was dangerous. Because of these pits. And listen it's a good picture. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the background. But it's a good picture of the mess that the world offers. You see just like Lot. We're tempted to leave our place near God. And we're tempted to go find something out there that we think will be better but friend it never is better see when you have when you seek to have power over your life and you, you seek to step outside from under the authority of God it will lead you to a battle you can't win in a place full of death traps and that's what this passage is picturing for us lot we know that lot according to second peter lot is a saved man he's a it, the bible calls him just Lot, but he was vexed with the filth of the wickedness around him. And in that same passage in 2 Peter, it says... For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world... Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... Once they're saved, they are again entangled therein and overcome... The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. And the point I'm trying to make is that it's possible in a world... Like the one that we live in, in a messy place... It's possible even for the child of God to fall into the slime. It's possible for us to, to, to not be on, our, on alert and to get right back into the mess that God saved us from. The world is a messy place and it's easy to be overcome. I don't have to tell you about the mess out there. All you have to do is watch the news. All you have to do is, is read some of the bills that, that, that Congress is trying to pass right now. That go directly against what God's word tells us we should believe. It's a messy place. And that's the first point I want to bring out. The second is sometimes it's hard to miss the mess. We find ourselves right in it like Lot did. Look at verse 11. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And verse 12. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed... These four kings have been wreaking havoc on the region. They come through and they take Lot captive. Now back in Genesis 13, remember, we're not going to look at it, but Lot was in a good place. But an issue with Abram caused him to leave, this, this issue between the herdsmen. And in leaving where he was supposed to be, he ended up in a dangerous place. The Bible says that he pitched his tent near Sodom. And then we find that, that they had a testimony of wickedness. And now we find Lot living in Sodom. See, this is a dangerous, a dangerous progression. He, he, he just kind of pitched his tent in the direction of Sodom. But we come here in verse 12 and it says that Lot, Abram's brother's son, dwelt in Sodom. See, we think that, that, if we, you know, that where we are right now matters more than where we're going. But that's not true. See, where you are, the direction you're headed is a good indicator of where you're going to end up. And you see, no, no wonder Lot finds himself in this mess. See, you, you could tell by his trajectory that that's where he was headed. And right now, friend, your trajectory indicates your destination. See, you might say, well, well, but where I'm at today is not a bad place. But if we were to look at the trends of your life, where you're actually headed, that's really, that really is what tells us where you're gonna be tomorrow. And some of you are trending down And it's easy in a messy world to get caught up in all the mess and start to trend down. Your trajectory is taking you to a place and you may not be there yet, but friend, we've got to be careful as a child of God or we will vex our soul just like Lot did. You're much wiser to look at your trajectory than your location. The direction you're going says a lot more than you realize. Lot left the safety of his older, mature, spiritual, altar-building uncle and moved towards Sodom where there were no moral boundaries whatsoever. And I'm just telling you, friends, if you hang out by the slime pits, don't be surprised if you fall in. And teenagers, to our young people in the room this morning, and you think, well, they're, you know, my friends, I like my friends, and, they, you know, they're not affecting me very much. That's, that's what you think, but you don't see it like, like your parents do. And many a young person in this room, or not even young people anymore, but people that have been there before. If you ask them, uh, you know, is this a dangerous thing to do to be around friends? Yeah, they'd say they're going one direction, but they're not going to affect me. No, that always affects you. You will end up in the slime. You will end up in the mess, young people, if your friends are in the mess. But it's the same thing with adults in this room. And we think, well, we're above it. No, what influences in your life? What are the primary influences in your life? Are they, are they leading you to or away from God? Because where, what your influences are will determine where you end up. You know, it's such a messy place that you don't even have to be in the slime to get dirty. I mean, you don't even have to be in the area just living life. We get messy. I mean, just I mean, just driving down the street, just listening to the radio, just listening to people talk in the next booth at the restaurant. I mean, just looking at the billboards uh, nowadays. The TV commercials have more uh, inappropriate content than what used to be in Hollywood movies thirty years ago. Just the commercials. And without realizing it, many Christians are moving towards Sodom with what they're allowing to influence their lives. And a step towards Sodom may not seem big, but it's an indication of our trajectory and it's a glimpse into where we're going to end up if we're not careful. The world is messy and it's hard to miss. But let me give you some hope this morning. It's possible to escape the mess. Look at verse 13 again. It says, And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew. For he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants... Born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also and the people. I just want to tell you this. This story today, it may seem a little bit strange or odd, but it's a story of hope. See, if you've gotten wrapped up in the mess and you're right in the middle of it, it's not too late to get out. But I want to notice something. Here's the catalyst for the rescue in this story is somebody caring enough to get involved. And this is where I'd like to give the the rest of our time and attention to, I'd like to focus on the ministry to the messy. And we don't know if Lot fell in the slime pits, but I think the picture is a good one. That Lot is in a mess. And he, and he led himself there. He allowed himself to get into the mess. But I just want to point out to the rest of us that may not be right in the middle of the mess. That we have a responsibility to the messy. And so keep your place here in Genesis 14. But look over in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 is where we're going to start. And just read this one verse this morning. Galatians 6. It says, well, I'll let you turn. Galatians 6, 1. Galatians 6, 1. I'll read this out loud. You follow along. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Let's read it together. Ready out loud? Ready, begin. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, the point that Paul is making here in Galatians 6 is that it is a Christian responsibility to restore those who have fallen. He says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... See, in this story that we read in Genesis 14... Lot is the overtaken brother. brother. He's down in the mess. He's been overcome by the world. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual. And in that story, Abram is the spiritual brother. He didn't get close enough to be affected. So he's still on solid ground. And even though Lot is down in the pit... He's down in the mess in the mess, Abram is still on solid ground. He's the spiritual brother and he actually has the opportunity to reach down and bring Lot out of the mess. Brethren, if a a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, it says restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. To restore is to bring that brother that's down in the slime back up to where you are. Restore means to fix that which is broken and bring it back to its original condition. He says, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Look, it says, uh, in, in the spirit of meekness, to reach, reach down with, without pride. See, that's the idea. His brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. It says, restore such an one with a spirit of meekness. And meekness is power under control. Meaning that you could say something and you could get a dig in. And you could maybe, with some pride, maybe just kind of throw a dagger at them or throw a little bit of a dart at them. And make them feel bad about their position. And yet Paul says, no, if you're spiritual, you'll reach way down and you'll pull them out. And you won't remind them about how dumb they were to be in the position in the first place. It says, restore such an one in a, with a, in a spirit of meekness." And here's why, here's why that we can restore somebody with meekness, because it says considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, the motivation is not just to consider where they are and consider where you are, but to consider that if, it was, if in any situation that presented itself that you were weak or you weren't paying attention, you could be right exactly where your brother is. And if you're going to reach down with meekness and you consider yourself, the the motivation for this is how would you want someone to treat you if you were down in the slime? How would you want somebody to look at you if you were in the mess? How would you want somebody to act on your behalf if you were the one that had been taken captive and you had no hope to escape? Listen, this is exactly what Abram is doing here. He's reaching down in meekness to help a fallen brother. And I'll just say it this way. It's a Christian responsibility to restore the fallen and overcome. It is a Christian responsibility to restore the fallen and overcome. We've all been called to the ministry of the messy. All of us. Abram didn't have to do anything. And yet he knew he was responsible to reach down and restore. And there are some really good lessons. And this is going to be very practical today. But I hope that you'll pay attention and even write these out. Because I think these could help our church. They could help you as a Christian to help a brother or a sister or a friend. Or anybody who has found themselves in the mess. Think about what Abram had to do to minister to the messy. It meant first, Abram had to overlook the past. If you're going to minister to the messy, you're going to have to have a short memory. You have to be, you're going to have to be willing to overlook the past. Remember the last time we heard about Abram and Lot? What was their last interaction? Well, the last interaction was contention over room for their herds. And Abram had deferred to Lot. And instead of demanding what was rightfully his, he let Lot go choose. Abram had to overlook the past to help Lot. He chose his, the relationship over the rights and Lot went off and he picked the well watered plains and Abram could have held on to that. Abram could have said something like, hey, who cares about Lot? Yeah, he was overtaken, but who cares about him? Look what he did to me. Abram could have said, I was selfless and I was deferring, but Lot was selfish. Or he could have said, it serves Lot right. That's what he gets for how he treated me. Or he could have said, no, God is getting him back for taking advantage of me. Thank you, God, for your retribution. But Abram said none of those things. See, instead, when he heard Lot was in trouble, he took action. And there will be times when someone that you had a previous negative encounter with, they just need a friend to display maturity and to display forgiveness. And yet too often God's people who claim to be mature and who claim to be spiritual, when they have an opportunity to reach down and help somebody who's fallen, all they can think of was, no, remember what you did to me before? Remember the words that you said to me that one time? You're getting what you deserve to be down in the slime pits. And we're way too good at walking by the ones wallowing in the slime pits because of our past experiences with them. And we, we claim to be spiritual and we claim to be mature. But if we aren't willing to look past the past and help a brother be restored, we're not as spiritual and we're not nearly as mature as we think we are. Messy people are going to be selfish. They're going to wrong you. Messy people are gonna take advantage of you and it makes it hard, but remember we're to consider that what if we were in that position? See, if you were the one in the mess, how would you like somebody to remember your past? Would you rather they held on to your your mistakes or treated you with forgiveness? Restoration requires a short memory. You wanna help somebody, don't hold their past mistakes over their heads. Operate as if you're the one in the slime pit. And remember that God doesn't hold your mistakes over your head. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God casts our sin into the depths of the sea. And as far as the east is from the west, he removes our sin from us. And in Ephesians 4 he says, and you forgive like Christ forgave you. And yet, we hold on to these things and we don't want to let them go. And yet, if you're going to restore a brother, there's a chance that that brother has offended you on some level in the past. And you're going to have to look past the past like God looked past yours. Second, Abram had to look, well, he had to look past the past and forget the last interaction. But second, he had to pay attention. See, It's interesting that Abram, it says, now um, back over in Genesis, you don't have to turn there, but back over in Genesis, it it says Abram heard that his brother was taken captive. See, part of the reason that restoration doesn't happen enough is because we tend to be a little self-absorbed. Abram was listening. He, he had heard that his brother was, was taken captive. And like, listen, I know life is busy enough. We all have problems of our own. And it's easy to be focused and self-focused on the things that we have going on... ...and overlook what somebody else is dealing with. I mean, it, I've, I've done it plenty of times. You, you hear about something that somebody is dealing with... ...and, and it's, a, it, it's an issue, it's a problem, it's a trial, it's a tribulation... ...but because you're not in their shoes... You go about your way and you forget about it. It's human nature. I'm not saying it's, it's a grievous mistake and that you're, you're, you know, you're worse off than anybody else. But listen, we've got to stop being so self-absorbed about the things we're dealing with. And as a church family and as friends and as just Christians in our community, if we could just put ourselves in the situation of those around us uh, and listen and pay attention and give real attention and thought to the problems other people are dealing with, we could see a lot more restoration. I love that Abram heard. He was listening. You know, he was busy. You know, Abram had all kinds of things going on. He had herds and flocks and servants. And we find out here in Genesis 14, he has 300 trained servants ready to go to battle. And he's managing a lot of people. And yet he cared enough to know when one brother was overtaken. You can't restore if you don't listen. Listen. And in your conversations, it's good for us to just listen. And I've said this plenty before, but I think there's times where we have bad habits of not listening when people talk. And I I observe that. I mean, it's even here at Eastside Baptist Church, good church full of mature Christians. And sometimes in conversations, you're, you're surprised at how much people just are talking over each other. Someone bearing their heart, and and yet it just seems like the other person is just kind of waiting for them to stop talking so they can give their two cents. And I know this feels like meddling, but listen, this the mature, spiritual people like Abram won't just always be the ones talking. They'll be listening. They'll be on the lookout to listen for the cues and the clues and and the little things that people say to know okay. Okay, they're not doing very well. And I need to explore that a little bit more. Listen, stop and listen. Selfishness is a human epidemic. And if you don't believe that, get on social media for five minutes. Everyone wants to be the influencer. Everyone thinks that their opinion is so novel that it must be shared with the world. It's really a reflection, though, of the selfishness of human nature. Everyone wants a voice. But people don't want to stop and listen. If you're always carrying the conversation or waiting till the other person is done talking to just say your piece, you're likely not listening enough to know. And you will likely miss the signs that a friend is overtaken in a fault. Stop and listen. Abram had the right to be the influencer, but he was listening. So you have to look past the past. You have to stop and listen. But third, if you want to minister to the messy, then you have to be prepared to help. Abram was prepared to help. Turn back over to Genesis 14. Abram was prepared to help. Verse, chapter 14, verse 14. It says, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants. Born in his own house. 318. Wow. So Abram, uh, this is the part of, of Abraham that corresponds with him being spiritual. He was equipped to help his brother. See, meaning he was wise enough To think ahead and be prepared for this situation. He had trained servants. They were trained and ready for battle. And I suppose in that day and age, if you weren't aligned with the city and you weren't aligned with other people, you would have to have your own protection. And this is kind of like he's got 318 bodyguards. But the fact that he had trained servants ready to go to battle, lets us know that Abram was prepared to be a help. He didn't let it sneak up on him and say, oh, I better train some people. No, he was already trained. He had insurance. You know, you you always want insurance right after you get in the accident. But you're better off if you get it before you get in the accident. And that's what Abram's doing. He's prepared. And, and the ma- most amazing part to me is he wasn't just prepared in that he had 318 servants that were ready to go battle. But he was 80 years old, probably at this point. And the fact is that he went out and he battled himself. So that's amazing. I mean, most people are thinking about retirement at this age and Abram is leading people to fight. He's not past his prime, he's prepared to help. And listen, I just want to say to those in our, in, our, in our church, and there may not be many here today, maybe they're watching online, listen, you're not past your prime to help. If you, you can battle on your knees for God's people and you can, you can lift up these requests to, to God and be a, a warrior, a prayer warrior on behalf of your church. And you may have a certain age, but that threshold does not disqualify you from being a help in the work of God. Amen. God has a place for you. And he's got. And you may not look the same as it used to. But you, are, you can be just as a vital part of Eastside Baptist Church as anybody else. We need to be prepared to help a friend that's overtaken. And, need, and needs restoration. You know the best way. Listen the best way you can be prepared. To help somebody be restored is this. You need to be spiritual. Ye which are spiritual. It's the responsibility of the spiritual ones to help the fallen. And the best help that you can be to a friend is to be spiritual. And I'm asking you today, we could go into this, we could spend all day on this. But are you spiritual enough to help an overcome friend? Do you have enough uh, contact and communication and communion with your father... That if someone brings you a spiritual battle today, you're ready to fight it. How well do you know God's word? I mean, are you equipped to take God's word and help somebody with God's word? Uh, If they have an issue or they've got a problem, are you equipped? Are you ready? If the battle comes up today, are you spiritual enough to jump into the fight? Your relationship with God matters simply because it matters, but it also matters because God could use you as a mature, a mature spiritual Christian to help bring bring somebody else out of the mess they're in. Preparation is the best way to help somebody. Look at uh, this is another aspect to help somebody in the mess. Abram was willing to fight for his brother. Number four, Abram was willing to go to go to battle. It says he pursued them unto Dan. He divided himself, so he has a plan. Verse 15, he divided himself against them. He and his servants by night and he smoked them. He pursued them unto Hoba, which is on the left hand of Damascus. Abram didn't just go and fight and win and go home. No, he pursued them under Dan. Once they got there, they'd already been chasing him. But once they got there, he fought these four, these four bullies, the four kings. He fought them. He defeated them. Some escaped and he pursued them even more and defa- fought again and defeated them and won the battle. 80 years old. It's amazing to me. Listen, the best, I know, I know Lot was technically his nephew, but one chapter before, Abram said, we be brethren. See, he looked at, 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 his, at his nephew, Lot, like, hey, this is my family. And listen, I don't know about you, but I'd be willing to fight for my family. I mean, I'd be willing to fight for someone that I love that's been overtaken. I mean, and most dads in this room would say the same thing. And you say, you know, if it came down to it, I certainly would fight for my wife. And I would definitely fight for my children. I would fight for my parents. I would fight for my siblings if it came down to it. And I know I say, well, that's not very pacifistic. Well, now I'm talking about if it comes down to it and you need to defend yourself or protect yourself. I'm not looking for a fight, but I'd be willing to, ju- to jump into one if it meant protecting the people that I love. But you know, we say that about our family, but we're part of a church family. And there are too many churches too interested in fighting with each other rather than fighting for each other. And I don't just mean with your fists. I mean spiritually fighting. You see somebody down in the mess and you're not going to say, no, okay, well, we'll see if they get out of it on their own. And we're not willing to even walk by and throw them a rope. That's part of being a church family is that we're willing to go to battle for each other. We're willing to stand up for each other. We're willing to get on our knees for each other. We're willing to, to spend some of our own, gas, uh, our own gas and our own money for somebody. We're willing to drive a long distance to invest in somebody and skip a meal to invest in somebody and be inconvenienced. If it, mean that I, if it meant, meant that I could have an influence on a friend or a family member or a church member that needs somebody just to let them know that they are loved. See, here's what it comes down to. Sometimes salvaging a friend who's in a spiritual or physical or emotional mess is gonna cost you something. It cost Abraham resources. I would imagine that Abraham lost some men, some trained servants in this. He certainly lost some sleep. It certainly cost him something. But here's what we have to think of. If we're going to restore somebody who's in a mess, here's what we have to think. We have to think they're worth it. We have to think, you know what? I'm gonna fight because they're worth it. Their soul matters to God and it matters to me and I love them because they're part of my church family or I love them because they're part of my family and they matter. And if they matter to God and they're worth it to God, they'll be worth it to me. We have to believe that that soul is worth the effort. And I'm not even just talking about your church family, folks. I'm talking about as we're out and about and we're witnessing and we're in the the community and we have a testimony. It's not just the people you know that are worth it. God so loved the world, He died for every person you'll ever meet. He loves every soul, and every soul matters to God. Every person matters enough to God that that I would be willing to lose some sleep. I would be willing to be inconvenienced. I would be willing to sit up and talk with them. I'd be willing to give them a bed, a place to stay if it needs to. I would be willing to take some time off work If, if they need somebody to be with them. I'd be willing to drive them somewhere where they can get help. That's what it means to minister to the messy. I was talking to somebody even just this week and somebody from work had called them and and they had and they were having an issue at home. And they're, I mean, they're work, it's a work relationship. But I'm thankful that this, person, uh, that this person had a testimony enough at work that somebody gets on the phone and says, I'm having a trouble with my spouse. Can you please come and help me? And they dropped everything and went to be a help to those folks. They had a good testimony and they were willing to drop what was going on in their own busy lives to go and spend some time ministering to people and they're not even part of the church family. Are we willing to do that? And not just for strangers. Sometimes it might feel easier for a stranger than it does for our own church family. But we ought to be willing to do it. If we can do it for a stranger, we ought to be willing to do it for each other. And I know, I know of people, I know of families in our own church. Uh, they're, they're in a mess. Who's reaching out to them? Who's taking steps to say, you're worth it? Are you you sensitive enough? Are you aware of people enough to know when they need somebody to just let them know that they're they're loved? The world is messy and sometimes restoration is messy too. And the slime on them might even get on you. And the cost can be great. But you have to be willing to say, no, they're worth the effort. They're worth the time and they're worth the cost. Why? Remember back in Galatians, it says, consider thyself. If it's you, would you want somebody to look at you as worth it? And number five, Abram had to care enough to take action. Abram had to care enough to take action. Do you care enough about others to put yourself out there for the sake of restoration? Do you know somebody who's in a spiritual mess right now? somebody who's involved in destructive behavior, someone who's spending time around people that are not going to help their spiritual lives, someone that you notice hasn't been at church, look around. If so, do you care enough to take action? Are you spiritual enough to help? Do you listen enough to take notice? You say, well, they wouldn't listen to me if I talked. Listen, that's not the point. The point is, do you care enough to do something? Even if they won't listen, what if if it was you not listening? You wouldn't want someone to just to throw in the towel and say, they don't matter enough for me to try. So listen, here's what restoration takes. It takes us overlooking the past, listening, paying attention, being spiritual enough to help, being willing to fight, and being willing to take action. Overlook the past, listen and pay attention, be spiritual enough to help, be willing to fight, and be willing to take action. And before you dismiss this and say, well, it's not my responsibility, consider thyself. Right. Amen. Has anyone ever stepped in for you? Has anyone, we've all been in Lot's position before. I mean, and maybe you're more spiritual than me, but there have been plenty of times where I got myself in a mess that I didn't know how to get out of. We've all pinched, pitched our tents too close to the mess. We have all found ourselves at the bottom of a slime pit just looking for a rope from anybody who'd care enough to drop one in. We've all been recipients or benefactors of somebody who took restoration seriously enough to help us in our lives. And maybe it was apparent when you were young enough to think you had all the answers. Maybe it was a brother or sister or sibling who was there when you hit rock bottom. It could have been a friend who refused to allow you to wallow in your misery and instead reached down and was willing to sacrifice to pull you up. Maybe it was a spiritual influence who gave up their time to love you through the difficulty. Or maybe it was a fellow church member and maybe somebody in here looks around the room and says, yeah, that person, they're in this room right now. They cared enough to notice and invest in my life and they helped me get out of the pit. And you say, well, nobody's ever loved me like that. I hit rock bottom and no one cared enough to drop a rope. Well, with all due respect, I have to strongly disagree. Because even at your lowest, messiest point, even when all others had given up hope and even though your life seemed thoroughly unsalvageable and even if no one was listening and no one acted like they loved you and no one seemed prepared to fight for you, you have a friend That went to the ultimate lengths for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. And yes, you may look around and say, there aren't very many human beings that have helped me at my lowest point. But God saw your lowest point and he sent his son to die on a cross for you. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. John 15 says, "...greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay lay down his life for his friend." And you may feel that no one has ever loved you enough to seek to restore you from the mess, but about 2,000 years ago, God the Father, the creator, the high and holy one who inhabits eternity, he sent his son Jesus Christ to planet earth with the purpose of dying on the cross in your place for your sin. He died so you could spend eternity in heaven forever with God the Father. So before you act as though no one's ever loved you enough to fix your messes, I'm just here to tell you with hope that there's not a mess in your life that the cross can't fix and if christ's death and burial and resurrection can solve your greatest problem which is sin there's no mess too big for him to clean up right now there's no slime pit too slick there's no sin too great and there's no fault that's overtaking you that he can't forgive and give you victory over God's grace is not limited to our bad choices. If you're still breathing, there's still hope. You have a friend, a capital friend, a capital F friend, who is willing to get messy for you so you could be restored. And if he can save you from your sin, he can clean the mess you're in. This is a message of hope if you're overtaken. It's also a message of challenge for the rest because you can't escape your responsibility to a friend who needs, if, if they need it. Listen, if it's a Christian responsibility to restore the fallen and overcome. So to the parents with the child who is off, Who's rebelled and it's messy. To friends who've watched someone leave God for the mess. And to the brothers and sisters who know people that used to be here and they're not now. You've got to look past the past. You've got to start listening. You've got to be spiritual enough to help when the time comes. You've got to be willing to fight for restoration. You can't change hearts but you can take some steps to let somebody know they're loved. You have to be willing to get a little messy if you're going to pull somebody out. You can't reach down and not get some on you. So roll up your sleeves. Reach down into it. Restoration is possible. And before you say, well, I'm just too busy. No, was God too busy to send his son? Consider thyself. And before you say, well, they've done me wrong. No, had you sinned against God before he he sent his son? And before you assume, well, they're not worth it. Well, what if God had said that about you? Everybody's worth restoration in the eyes of God. You know, Abram succeeded in putting Lot in a position to be restored. And what we know is Lot went right back to Sodom. But it didn't stop Abram from the attempt. According to 2 Corinthians 5, we're not going to turn there, but we're called to the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation means that to restore to God's favor through the death of Christ, he died so we could come back. And if you have benefited from that, We have a ministry, a responsibility to reconcile others. I'm calling it today, it's a ministry to the messy. Don't begrudge it because you've benefited from it. And Christian, when's the last time you reached way down? And you let somebody know you love them. You listened long enough to hear their desperation. Or you looked past the past and you took action. When's the last time you fully invested in the restoration process in somebody's life? Get over the past, stop focusing on yourself, start listening, prepare yourself spiritually and help. Be willing to fight because they're worth it. Care enough to take action. You know, there are very few things more encouraging than something being restored. When I was at, at, at the Chambers shop at the garage this week and they're, they're working on their second truck. The first one's it's amazing, it's beautiful. They restored, what year is it? 72, that's 72 Got to ride around in it with Wade last year. Um, That's an experience in itself if he's driving. But I'm telling you, there's something about being restored back to the original condition. And it's just beautiful. And they're working on their second one and I can't wait to see that. I think about Brother Juan and sometimes he'll take a house and he'll flip it. and He'll restore it and make it look good again. And listen, we see restoration in all walks of life. But sometimes when it comes to people, we think, well, that's not going to happen. And yet that's the business God's in. Because one day that truck will burn up and one day that house will fall down. And yet those people that we work in with all of our hearts to diligently bring back to God or bring to God in the first place, someday in a million years, they'll still be around the throne of God. So let's stop giving ourselves to these things that in the end restoration that is temporary and let's give our lives to the ministry of the messy, the ministry of, the, of reconciliation and invest our lives in those things, those people that will last for eternity somewhere. When's the last time you just said all in, I'm giving myself to reach this person and bring them back to the original condition. It's time for us to stop focusing on ourselves And start ministering to the messy. We live in a world full of people that need it. And we're all called to it. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.